Welcome to the Lonnie Swain Show podcast. I'm your host, Lonnie Swain, media veteran, content creator, and storyteller. I'm a New Orleans native currently based in Los Angeles, California. This podcast is all about sharing our stories, support, and resources to inspire, encourage, and empower our listeners. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share with at least three people. Continue the conversation online at LonnieSwain.com. Now, let's get into the show. Joining us today on the Lonnie Swain Show podcast is Maxine Hughes. She is a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified sex therapist, candidate registered with the Board of Behavioral Sciences. Over the last decade, Maxine has committed to working with individuals and couples in identifying and achieving their goals that have helped them to live more authentically. Her practice, Life and Sex Therapy Center, located in Beverly Hills, California, is LGBT. TQ Affirmative. Her goal is to provide a sex-positive environment for clients to explore the depths of their challenges while supporting them on their road to healing. Some of her specialties include kink fetish sex work, sex-related issues, sexual dysfunction, sex addiction, infidelity, sexual trauma, depression, anxiety, race-related issues, and difficulties with intimacy and vulnerability. In individual and group therapy, she forges deep and trusting relationships so that clients feel comfortable discussing their most protected thoughts and feelings. Maxine, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? I am doing wonderful. So excited about this conversation and reading your bio again. I'm like, okay, I need to book a private session because some of these <laughs> that you talk about, I need to yes. dive deeper. Yes. <laughs> and, <Awesome>. and <laughs> One of the things that when we were talking offline that you specifically brought up to talk about in this episode is something that I have personally witnessed, been impacted by, and been a participant in myself, which is the emotionally unavailable partner. Yes. Um, <laughs> so it's an epidemic, right? An epidemic. Yes, Maybe it is. And yeah. so, first of all, I want to know, um, and I may actually backtrack a little bit to ask about how did you decide to go into sex therapy specifically and working with um, LGBTQ and couples on these issues? Um, after I've always been interested um, in people, in relationships, in why people make the decisions that they make, a strong curiosity about it. So after I got licensed, um, I was working with clients who suffered from addiction. Um, and sex and addiction were so interrelated. And it's oh. not something that they treat like when you're in treatment, like issues with sex or um, codependency, things like that. Like when you're in treatment for substance abuse, they're not like delving into that issue specifically. And mm -hmm. so there was a real need that I experienced for therapists who deal in um, sex and sex addiction and things like that. And um, so I added another certification um, started a program and um, started focusing on sex, a uh, specific niche. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and definitely 
um, not even really, and I definitely didn't know that about the correlation between sex and addiction, but definitely knowing for me the ways in which intimacy as younger people or any kinds of sexual traumas at young ages definitely dictate a lot of intimacy issues as adults. So the the sex piece kind of impacts so many other pieces, if you will. Most definitely, most definitely. And when you you have a person who's experienced sexual trauma, um, it actually manifests and in their day-to-day, like a young child who has any type of trauma at all and then um, sex, that child gets older, it's still, those things still present themselves and kind of uh, impact the way that adult is experiencing relationships and mm. challenges. Yeah. It goes very deep, very deep. And Most definitely. And speaking of going deep to get back into today's topic, which is something that I think is very deep, is the emotionally unavailable partner. And if someone's listening and they think, oh, I might have dated somebody like that, or I might have been that person, how do you define the emotionally unavailable partner? What does that look like? The emotionally unavailable partner looks like situationships. Um, it looks like the partner who um, they, you may go through the motions of um, connecting with this person, exchanging energy with this person. But as far as like emotional issues, commitment, um, being vulnerable and the intimate part of it, it's completely missing. Um, a lot of times if you spark conversations in that lane, the person completely like retreats, goes mm-hmm. silent, um, is oftentimes extremely avoidant. So completely avoidant of any type of emotional um, availability, emotional presence. Uh, it's almost like they're, you're going through the motions with the person, but the depth isn't there. Mm-hmm. And now... In in having that conversation or or describing it that way, for me personally, I feel like I can say I've maybe had some experiences where I was going through the motions and there were many moments that felt vulnerable or that certain things weren't shied away from as far as conversation, but Uh as far as like an emotional attachment or an emotional connection, that part was lacking. So we could maybe share some private um, stories or some uh, vulnerable moments, but it still never felt like, you know, if I don't speak to you tomorrow or ever again in life, that's okay too. Yeah, the consistency. It's not, it's it's more than just like, oh, sharing like a a private story. Mm -hmm. um, the attachment, it's the consistency, it's the uh, um, the connection, a deeper connection, you know, mm-hmm. and it, it definitely is like multifaceted and layered. But mm-hmm. um, as what you're saying, it's, it's sharing moments, but it's the actual consistency and connection with that mm-hmm. person. 
And so what causes someone to be emotionally unavailable? The cause for emotional unavailability, I think, um, can be a array of things. Um, past relationships, uh, the way that a person attaches um, with their with their family, with their parents, um, emotionally traumatic experiences. And I think, like, the underlying thing is a fear of feeling like they can really, like, trust her, trust another or mm-hmm. trust the other be able to trust the person that they're in relation with mm-hmm. um there's not a lot of faith in their ability to trust and really it's um a lot of times we as dating the emotionally unavailable person we can uh, internalize our experience and make it and it feels like it's about us but really um everything that we're experiencing is like truly our um, about the person that we're in relation with. So we feel like it may be like, we feel like they don't trust us, but really it's more, they don't like trust themselves mm-hmm. um, in being in connection with another person. Mm-hmm. And in talking about the attachment styles or even starting with how they relate to or attach with family. And sometimes maybe can there also be like, the fear of abandonment and not trusting that, you know, if I share this or if I get close to you, you're going to leave me. So people always one foot out the door. Of course. And, and that's why I said, when I said it's like multifaceted because it can be, I'm going to, I'm going to abandon you before you abandon me or Mm -hmm. um, they're already it's very fear-based, um, for one, but they're working from a place of defenses and trying to protect themselves. Mm-hmm. So abandonment could be an issue um, for the emotionally unavailable person, a fear of abandonment, um, which, again, goes back to things that they may have experienced in their family of origin or even just feeling like they were abandoned by partners, like the traumatic experiences that you know, we all go through as adults at times in relationships. Absolutely. And something else that I'm thinking of as we're having this conversation, if something else that seems to be an epidemic is the whole concept of ghosting, you know, where it's like you're talking to somebody and then every, it was all good just a week ago. And now you just never hear from the person or you sent them a text message and they just never responded and you never, you know, for some undisclosed amount of time or whatever it would that indication of emotional unavailability. Well, I think, um, and it's also like interconnected and it's so funny that you brought up ghosting because I just had a conversation, like, a long conversation with one of my friends about um, ghosting last week. Um, I think that like, okay, so when we're talking about like the emotionally unavailable um, person that we may be like dating, Mm -hmm. um, that enters into the land of situationships where you may be going through the motions of feeling like this is like an actual like thing, but there's no title. Um, Mm -hmm. Is that something you can relate to? Yeah. Yeah. 
And but sometimes I think, to be honest, Maxine, I'm the emotionally unavailable person. And I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to put a title on it because I don't want to make no commitments, because if I put a title, then I got to go through the motion of breaking up with you. And so definitely. <laughs> so so what do you do? Do you do? How do you handle that in a situation? Because basically. I was talking to a male, but he said the same thing that you're saying in that, like, <laughs> he's like, well, that's why you don't jump into a relationship. And I was just like, okay, well, let's just say you're like dating a girl and like these terms, they're so like, you know, like fluid, but let's just say like you're dating a girl. He's like, what dating? And I was like, okay, let's just say you're going, going out on dates. <laughs> yeah. You connected with her. You guys have been intimate. And it's been two months and he's just like, well, are we seeing each other every day? And I was like, you've been intimate, you hang out. It's, it feels very reciprocal, but it's, you're like, the vibe isn't working for you anymore. What do you do? He's like, I just stopped talking to her. I was like, you just ghost her. You don't say like, this isn't working for me. And he's like, no, we're not in a relationship. And I was like, but you've been sleeping with her for two months. And he's like, I don't owe her an explanation. I was just like, what? <laughs> I mean, I totally agree with that. And in most cases, because what my thinking is, and and this may turn into uh, analyzing the emotionally (laughs) Bonnie Swain. No, Um, my thinking is that if I feel like the connection is not really there, then I feel like you have to feel it too. Like, so I'm thinking like, oh, that last time we got together was, you know, I wasn't really feeling it. And so then I may just start putting some distance. Now, what's interesting is that in the early phases, and so I'll give an an exact example for a situation. I went out with someone like, maybe once or twice, but there was no sex or anything like that. And the first time we went out, you know, they were like, to me, more physically aggressive than what I was wanting or or comfortable with. And it wasn't like they were trying to have sex specifically, but just very touchy-feely or trying to kiss me. Too familiar. Yeah. Yeah. And I definitely was physically attracted to him, but it was more than what I wanted. And there were other things I think that just seemed to be um, not so much red flags in a sense of like, this is a bad person or something like that, but just that this might not be a good situation for me or that we might not be compatible in certain ways of something that I'm not ready for. And so I just kind of, started ghosting him, I guess, in the sense that I wasn't really responding to text messages and things like that. And I don't, I don't see that as ghosting. Cause I feel like that is like a total assessment thing. You know what I mean? Like that's you like assessing, assessing the connection, you know, you're filling out the vibe, mm-hmm. you know, now, that's like but, the assessment thing. But what I was going to say is if he would have just let that go and not, you know, continue to contact me or approach me the way I'm about to tell you he did, then that would have just been that. But what he ended up doing was saying, texting me, because I think he maybe tried to call and I didn't really answer. And then he texted me and was like, is everything okay? Is something wrong? Did I do something? And if so, please just let me know what it was. Because I never really communicated with him 
like, hey, I didn't like that you did X. And so that goes into certain things. Like if I'm, and I think that, you know, to your friend's point, to the the gentleman you were speaking to, that may have been kind of what he's saying. Like, okay, I'm assessing in this two month period that I'm not, this isn't really going anywhere for me or what it is, is all it's ever going to be. So I can kind of back off of this and I don't really owe you an explanation. We were just getting to know each other, assessing the situation. And so with the guy, he asked me what happened. And so then I was more than happy to give him an explanation and have a conversation about, well, you did these things and I wasn't really comfortable with that. And um, that's why I've been distant. And he said, oh, you know, I understand. I respect that, you know, going forward, I'd still like to spend time with you and I'll keep those things in mind. And, you know, if something happens that you don't like, please let me know right then and there, you know, like, right. and let's address this and let's talk about it. And so I was like, okay. And I've not really had very many men come at me in that way of like, let's talk about it. And I think that was was beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And he was somebody that, you know, in retrospect, it didn't go anywhere necessarily relationship wise, but that wasn't because he wasn't emotionally available or a good person. I think he was actually a very good example of someone very emotionally available and emotionally intelligent and such a good communicative. Yes, yes, and a good communicator, which I think is is difficult for a lot of people. And so those are things that I really appreciate about him. And I've actually like called him and texted him before and said, you know, I just really appreciate these things about you, um, even though it doesn't work out for us in other ways that we're not compatible. Um, but that's something that I appreciated. So I give that example to say, if he wouldn't have initiated a conversation, it would have kind of just been left there where it was. But because he did, I was open to having that conversation and talking about it. But I wouldn't have initiated it because I didn't feel like I owed him an explanation or um, it, I didn't need that closure for that conversation. But um, and, if he did, I would do it. And I, what I was going to say is that um, I think that is a great example. And so I don't feel like you were ghosting. I feel like you were assessing. When he reached out to you to say, like, hey, did I do something wrong? If you just didn't reply, like, mm-hmm. I feel like that would be a hard, a <laughs> a hard ghost. <laughs> that would be okay. a hard, strong, you just disappeared. Because okay. a lot of times when people with like the whole like ghosting another epidemic is people want that, that closure or they want that. Cl- I'm not going to say closure. I'm going to say clarity on yeah. like what's happening. Yeah. And I mean, because our, bro- we are wired for connection, you know, and the way people connect when they're like dating, how that looks for them. Like you said, you guys like weren't intimate. I'm like, okay, you were just like assessing other people get intimate like quickly. Mm-hmm. And they connect in like different ways. And so just a hard, just you fall off the face of the earth, um, disappear, you just disappear. I think um, it doesn't offer any like clarity to the other person because the assumption that like, 
oh, this is like the last time we we hung out and it was it was a weird vibe, then you should know it was a weird vibe. It's like the person may not know. Mm-hmm. You know? Well, like, to that, he had no idea. Like, to that your, point. <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> like, he, in your example, he had no idea, like, you know, that the vibe was off. Yeah. But he had some drinks. I didn't, you know, and that could okay. play a part in it, too. Definitely. And, and I say, that's your problem, not mine, you know, <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> um, but to your friend's point, I feel like some people use sexual intimacy as part of the assessment. And it's like, okay, let's see if we're sexually compatible. And they have sex right. very early. And I guess mm-hmm. I apply my theory of the situation that I described to the to your friends in that I don't feel like it's his responsibility to say, hey, this isn't working out for me and these are the reasons why. But if the person were to ask Inquire. or yeah, and say, hey, what's going on? I feel like you're distant and be an adult about whatever. If your friend or whoever feels like, hey, we were hanging out, we were going on dates, we were having sex, whatever the, the situation and that is no longer really of interest to me, and we hadn't made any declarations of commitment, then I feel like if they're okay with just kind of falling off and and reducing the amount of outreach or phone calls or text or whatever, and they don't feel like there needs to be a conversation, then I don't feel like it's their responsibility to have a conversation. But if you feel you want to inquire, then I feel like it's your responsibility to ask. Right. So, so do you, are you, where are you a ghosty? Are you like a fan or not a fan? Um, I'm not a fan per se, but I think (laughs) that, and that's where it goes with the, what is, what do you define as ghosting? Because it's like, if you ask me a specific question about, why am I no longer calling you? Then I'm happy to provide you with a response. So that's not, you know, because I'm a Virgo and I'm very analytical. So I have a whole scroll and a whole book of reasons why I'm no longer calling you. (laughs) So it's not just arbitrary. It's like, well, on such and such a day, I had called you and you didn't answer and it took you three days to call me back. So I didn't. Right or whatever. So I'm going to have some reasons for you. So just be prepared. If you ask me for the why, I'm going to give it to you. And I don't have a problem with that. But I'm not offering one. And especially depending on what the circumstances are. Now, if you're somebody that is very aggressive and that you're calling me every day, texting me every day, then for the sake of my data and and, uh, minutes, on my phone, I might tell you, hey, (laughs) you need not be putting in this overtime calling me all day and all night and texting because I'm not really feeling you. But if it's just a a slow burn kind of thing that, you know, you're just hanging on with a text once a week or something that's not too intrusive or that's not bothering me. And I may even just kind of give you a, a, you know, Hey, what's up? Oh, I'm good. And give you like just short kind of um, not too much. Check in. Yeah. Yeah. 
you know, if if you didn't do anything that was like disrespectful or makes me not ever want to speak to you, if I'm not mad at you, if I just have assessed and decided that we're not romantically compatible, then, you know, I may still be cordial, but I'm unavailable in the sense of continuing whatever it was that we were doing. Right. But do you, so for yourself, you feel like you are, do you, like if emotional unavailability was on a spectrum, do you feel like you're more to the emotional unavailable like side of the spectrum? Honestly, I think that I go to extremes on each side of the spectrum. I think it's very much so dependent on the person and kind Mm -hmm. of where I am in that moment. Like when I've, if I've just come out of a relationship where I was very emotionally available and I'm still like licking my wounds, then the next person I meet, I'm going to be on that total extreme end of emotional availability. (laughs) Yes. Right. And so, and I may even, but this is the thing. I feel like, Maxine, I give people disclaimers in the beginning where it's like, (laughs) I just came out of a relationship. I'm not looking for anything. You know, I will say that, or I may even use the term I'm emotionally unavailable. So I kind of feel like you should proceed with caution. And then whatever my behavior ends up being, you can't be too surprised. Because I told you in the beginning. Because I gave you the disclaimer at the beginning. You you knew. You read the the fine print. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, in certain situations, I think that I will not know. Like, I'll feel like it can go either way. Like, and then that becomes an issue of the person. Like, and when I say that to go deeper, it's kind of like, and I think that this may be a situation like with your guy friend um, mm-hmm. that when you meet someone, you kind of know, like, could this be something based on whatever your checkbox of factors are? Like, do we have sparks? Am I, is there a physical attraction? Do we have similar values? energy? Yeah. yeah. The vibe, or what's the, the energy? energy? And mm-hmm. is there chemistry? All those things. And, so many of us go forward with reckless abandon knowing that That a lot of things are not there. And so then we call it, you know, you know, throw the title under, you know, Oh, we're getting to know each other or, you know, this is the uh, preliminary phase or I forget the term that, your friend might have used, but this is the the interview phase or whatever. The assessment phase. <laughs> the assessment. Yeah, the assessment <laughs> phase. And that could last two months for some people. That could last two years. You're still assessing that those red flags that you identified in the beginning, they're still there. You know, right. or the things that you knew were off are still off. And right. just kind of go forward to see like, Maybe if we have sex, I might change my mind. Maybe, you know, <laughs> if if we keep doing this for a little while, then maybe they'll be more attractive or maybe I'll think that Things they're will change. Yeah, it can develop, yeah. it can grow. Yeah. yeah. And then it doesn't and it never does. And so I think that those are the situations where 
there's a lack of emotional attachment too because you were never fully in it or open to it from the beginning. Relationships are so colorful and they're all so <laughs> different. I mean like yeah. I mean like with my clients, like they come in and it's it's so interesting. It's it's just it's very interesting to be like um fly on the wall if you will of so yeah. many people's lives. Yeah. And, um but I said that to say that the emotional unavailable person isn't bad or mm-hmm. terrible. It is a challenge um dating someone who's emotionally unavailable. But like to like like you said, um coming out of a relationship, you can feel very tender still and just be like, Well, my emotions aren't available right now. It takes so much patience, you know what I mean? And yeah. it's all really like the assessment phase. It's all gaining information. Um, I, like in my experience, um, I met someone and didn't expect much of anything. Like exactly like you said, like <laughs> uh-huh. you meet somebody and you just kind of like, no. So I like met someone, I was introduced to someone and I was just like, this is just like, you know, like it's summertime, why not? You know <laughs> right. I mean? Hot girl summer. <laughs> yeah. You know, like, why not? Like, I guess, okay, let's, all right. Like, you know, it's no, no expectations at all. And it's like, you know, three years later and, um, And so they all look very different. They're all very colorful. And um, I don't think that dating someone who's emotionally unavailable is bad. Um, Now, wait, let's clarify three years later. And is it a situationship or something defined or three years later? And it's still like, oh, yeah, this isn't going anywhere. No, 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 no. There was no, okay, so I used, there was no, like, um, we didn't, like, put a destination in, like, the GPS or anything, but it's definitely, like, a thing, you know what I mean? Uh Like, it's gone somewhere, it's meaningful, like, all of these things. And um, I was going to say that it's, in dating the unemotionally the emotionally unavailable person, it takes a lot of like patience. It takes a lot of um, self awareness and understanding that everybody is having their own experience. And a lot of times in dating, like anyone available or emotionally unavailable, I see a common thread um, where we internalize things about our partners or about the person that we're dating and we make it about us. And mm. it completely takes out the, um, we like eradicate the the notion that this is another individual having their own complete experience, you know, and they don't know what they're going through may not be about me. And, um, allowing just kind of like stepping away from the situation and really being more self-reflective and focusing on ourselves as opposed to internalizing what's happening with the person we're dating or with our partner. Yeah. Does does that resonate? Yeah. I was going to say for me, I think that 
you know, in operating in total extremes of the spectrum, if I'm <laughs> if I'm emotionally invested in something, though, I feel like that's hard to do to 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 isolate and say, OK, your experience is yours and you're acting this way or I don't feel connected to you. And that has nothing to do with me, but I'm going to continue to kind of put in effort or, or do certain things when I'm not getting the results or the response from the person that I'm with, if I'm emotionally invested. So okay. I feel like oh. it's harder to, um, cause that's what I, where I tell people too. I think it's easier for me to, or I can be with someone longer <laughs> if I'm less emotionally attached because their behavior you- doesn't impact me as much. So when you are emotionally attached, it's like um, if you're not getting the results that you need, that you need or that you desire, then that's like negatively impacting you. Yes, absolutely. I'm more reactive because I'm more emotional about the situation. So it's like, oh, my God, he didn't call me back. You know, I th- and I think that, you know, that's a, maybe another episode going into codependency. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's so like, like we're venturing on so many like <laughs> top, there's so many like topics and boundaries we're like venturing on. Yes. So it is, it is. I mean, but you're right. It is very, very, it is a hard thing to do. It, it is. Uh, my best friend is always like, Maxine, do you really expect for someone to communicate like that? And I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, you're a therapist. No one talks like you. No one's going to communicate like that. And I was like, oh, okay. Like, I, and she was like, you're like, you know, what are you talking about? Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, I was going to say that it is a hard thing. It is a hard thing. I mean, the moment where I, it dawned on me, like, um, when I was in a relationship or, um, and it dawned on me, like I experienced what you're saying, like, you know, like I, this fool didn't call me back or like, you know, my text has been, I haven't gotten a response or a text message for, you know, three hours. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was, I remember this moment I was driving down the freeway on the 405 and I was just like, the world doesn't revolve around me. Like this person. <laughs> Literally, I was like, he has his own life, like, he has, like, a job, he has, like, stuff going on, you know, like, a child, I have a child, and I was like, the world doesn't revolve around me, and it just, like, clicked, and once, and I was like, half the issues that we take are um, more about us than it is about the other person, like, yeah. really, like, all of these moments are moments to, like, and it's to self-reflect and to dive in where we, like, look out and we look to, like, you know, we're looking for a reason for why we feel uncomfortable when it's really information, our discomfort is information about us. Yeah. That, our, that a situation in our relationship or situationship may be triggering, that's triggering something but the something is about what's going on with us so it's like information this information that we take about us because you know like you could have like maybe your meeting ran long or maybe you got a flat tire maybe like your phone died it can be 
a hundred reasons why. Mm-hmm. And it may not be like the narrative that we're like creating about like what's going on. Yeah. Nine times out of ten, it's not. Really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's a quotable right there. Our discomfort <laughs> giving us information about us. It is. And it's really, um, it's so, it's really perspective. And it's, and that's what I'm saying. Like, um, it's not good or bad. It's just different. And I don't, I have, I mean, like, as a therapist, I have a lot of patience and I like the um, emotionally unavailable person. That's what I say. It's not that the emotionally unavailable person is bad. And, um, being emotionally unavailable is a place where an individual is trying to like protect themselves, you know, it's tender underneath and they're trying to protect themselves. And so there's a lot of like patience involved, but there is a wealth of knowledge from um, when we're triggered and we're uncomfortable and it's about us and each of it's growing opportunities for us. But a lot of times as humans, we look out and we're like, I need this result from you. I need you to make me feel better. You need to text me. You need to call me. You need to do this. And yeah. it's not, so it's like, those are, um, it's putting like a bandaid on a bullet hole because it's not about any of those things. Yeah. And I think for me personally, or what I experience with myself and then even witnessing with others, that a lot of times what we are upset with people for not doing are things that we ourselves have done or do. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. this expectation for you to be me. And then it's also, then it goes into resentment. Well, it's like, well, I always text you back immediately and drop whatever you're doing. Yes. And so now that you're not doing it, now I'm resentful for doing something that I did on my own as an adult. And that, that is like an actual, I'm so happy you brought that up because that is like actual, <laughs> that is an actual thing. Like, yeah, it goes back to my point of us saying like, um, that we are dealing in relation, we're dealing with another individual that every nanosecond of their life has contributed to the way they present in this moment. And yeah. that has nothing to do like, you know, the last 30 years of their life and the way that they present in this moment isn't all about their partner. Right. (laughs) That's very little to do with their partner. Yes. And so we do. And so when I talked about like self-awareness and the discomfort information about yourself, it's like, um, you know, being more self-aware is like, okay, I show up this way. Like I respond, I'm responsive when you text me. And the expectation is that your partner is going to be the same thing. And a lot of this is like very subconscious and not spoken. Oh yeah. Yeah. We get upset about it, but we're not like taking into account that this person maybe like I'm horrible at texting, you know what I mean? And it has nothing to do with anybody else at times, but like, yeah. I think I have, like, 30 text messages in my phone for the last, like, <laughs> you know, it has nothing to do with anyone. It's just that, like, you know, I'm a mom, I'm a single mom, I work, I have this, I have a lot going on, and it's just, like, you got a podcast to record. <laughs> you have a podcast to record, exactly. <laughs> like, you know, I have things going on, but, you know, my my partner can come up with this like entire narrative about that and it be an actual thing in our relationship 
But yeah. it's not taking into account like who I am. It's yeah. all about at that moment it's all about them. You know what yeah. I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you get into, okay, once I've communicated that this is an issue for me, then now, you know, instantaneously I want your behavior to change. Right. And, <laughs> I mean, yeah, that th- yes, exactly. That, <laughs> I think um I think the biggest now I'm not I'm not saying like your needs are one's needs aren't important or it's yeah. not like you can't have boundaries or anything like that. It's just I think it's the perspective that you take when you're in relation with another person that is and really like um and really knowing that you are you're two individuals, two autonomous individuals coming together and being self-aware and the way that you show up and being communicative and clear about your needs, all these things like are very, very, very important. Mm-hmm. But it's so many times in relation um, when I'm like working with clients, even like couples, it's like they come together and it's like, it's not two individuals. It's its own like identity where there's so many expectations of one partner to show up exactly how their partner feels like they should and yeah it's it's like you know and with that again you're not you're not taking into account that you have a whole full-on individual that's like lived a whole life before this moment that they're in with you Mm -hmm. yeah before you Mm -hmm. you know it takes a lot a lot of patience a lot of patience and work Yes, absolutely. And so, and speaking of work, what are some things that people can do if they find themselves in a relationship with an emotionally unavailable partner, or if they, in fact, are the emotionally unavailable partner in a relationship, what work can they do or some some tips for kind of getting through that because you say uh, emotionally unavailable people are not bad people. So does that mean this is not a permanent condition? Is there hope for me, Maxine? (laughs) (laughs) There is hope. There is hope. Um, There is definitely hope. Um, I think when dealing with a emotionally unavailable person, uh, you have people who are emotionally unavailable, no emotional intelligence, and they don't want that to change. They don't want to change that. Mm-hmm. Or they don't want to, you know, there's a fir- the first stage of like not acknowledging it or um, having like acknowledging that this is like a thing. Mm-hmm. But some people don't want to change that. And so, um, you know, depending on the person, like if, they didn't want to change and you're not looking to like definitely be with somebody that's that way then you have to set your own boundaries and make your needs a priority um but in dealing with someone who uh, is emotionally unavailable they can acknowledge that they're emotionally unavailable they have some insight and awareness that um this is like the actual thing i think just like communicating about it um, not not pressuring the person or like they're wrong because they're this way, but really um, trying to experience that person through from a place of compassion and a mm-hmm. lens of compassion and understanding that 
there trying to protect themselves and um, being very just like patient with them. Mm-hmm. And um, again, you you have whatever whatever boundaries you feel like you you need, and you communicate about like what your needs are, and you just deal with the the person from a place of compassion and patience, and you being very um, intentional and attuned to what's coming up for you, like what the dynamic with this person is triggering from you. And how those are opportunities for you to like grow mm-hmm. and things for you to work on. On that note, we'll wrap up this episode. I hope that people were taking notes. And if they come into contact with some emotionally unavailable people, don't just throw them out the window. Right? Don't throw them out the window. <laughs> just go. They are that way for a good reason, I'm sure. At least in yes. my case, no. <laughs> they, need, but, uh, they need compassion and consistency and patience. Yes, absolutely. And trust and honesty, communication. Yes. All of that. Um, So before I let you go, um, Lonnie's last five questions. The first one, what is your favorite act of (sighs) self-care? I'm just going to be honest. Uh, Sex is a really good act of self-care. Okay. Okay. That is my favorite act of self-care, but yeah. I feel like a goddess and I'm just celebrating like my goddess energy and like my body and it's just like empowering. Absolutely. Um, and it's burning calories. It's good for your <laughs> system. It helps you sleep better. All of those things. <laughs> You're just so happy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Orphans. Um, I think my other um, thing for self-care that I really enjoy is um, cuddling with my my son. He's five and just being in his space and and just uh, like, I, I feel like I could just lay out in his like energy. He's like the sun. So just like spending time with him. That's I love so it. Sweet. <laughs> What's something my favorite human being? Aww. <laughs> That's really sweet. And I'm sure he would be happy to know that. I hope you tell him that often. I'm like, you know who my favorite person is in the entire world? He's like, me. and I was like, you got it. Like, <laughs> good. It's good that he knows it. What's something you wish you were better at? Oh, oh, that that's a hard no. That that's a that is a deep personal question. Okay, something <laughs> I, <laughs> Give us something one I of wish, the less deep ones. No, <laughs> um, something I wish I was better at is, or if you want to uh, go deep, go deep. We like to go deep here. Okay, I am really. Uh, I wish I was better at like putting myself out there. I think I'm networking. Personally, professionally. Okay. Yeah. Both. Uh, No, I don't have a problem. Like personally, I'm like, I probably like overshare and then like an open book. Um, But 
I wish I was better at like put my putting myself out there professionally. Networking mm-hmm. makes me. I am so like transparent on a personal level, mm-hmm. but when I'm like, I feel like um, just like so nervous sometimes, like professionally at networking events and things like that. I just like get a lot of anxiety. So I wish I was there better at um, what I'm able to do, like on a one-on-one and like once I do it I'm fine but the confidence I have with like one-on-ones and everything that I could like I wish I was like better at like being out with that Mm -hmm. on like um like networking and things like putting myself out there that way Mm -hmm. and and there's so many different ways to network now whether it be social media or in person they do like um speed dating for networking where it is kind of more you're forced on a one-on-one so maybe it's just a matter of finding of networking that works best for you or if it you know it's like small intimate um gatherings as opposed to like a large conference per se yeah small intimate um i love and like i said once we if it's a larger thing, once I like go through and I'm talking with someone one on one, it's like fine, but it's like the bigger platforms. I'm just like, yeah. Ah! <laughs> so nervous. What is your definition of success? Oh, my definition of success is um being aligned with my purpose. Um, living in my truth. And aligned with my purpose, um, I am lucky enough um, that I feel that what I do as a therapist aligns with what I'm purpose for, my purpose here. I don't feel like I chose to be a therapist. I feel like it chose me. Mm-hmm. Every, like, it doesn't feel like work. And my, I had a client uh, schedule a session, and I was like, oh, it's on my birthday. She's like, you work, you're in a work on your birthday? I was like, yeah. She was like, God, you must really love what you do. <laughs> I do. I love it. Yeah, of course. And so, um, um, but align with my purpose, living my truth, um, and um, being, being like very empowered and like, and proud and loud in um, my presentation. I think, Mm -hmm. uh, across the board as a mom, as a professional, um, and just helping people to feel whole and heal and um, to expand and grow. Awesome. what feels like success to me. Mm -hmm. What's a quote or a piece of advice that you live by? Oh, I have okay. Let 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 me let me think. A quote that I live by. Uh, it's probably something we were talking about earlier. I chase my fears. Um, I fear that I feel and live by fear being a beacon, um, and it's calling you to it to explore. And um, I feel that when we're leaning into our fear we come out the other side just so much bigger and so much stronger a lot of times the things that we project so the things that we're afraid of it's like if we lean into it and we like explore it 
then it's that thing isn't what we're afraid of isn't what it it's not even there it's like an illusion so Mm -hmm. like I was saying like leaning into yourself and building insight and your discomfort uh, being information about you it's the same thing like with fear Um, Mm -hmm. I really I see fear as a beacon and it's like calling me to it Mm -hmm. what do you want to be remembered for Oh, God. Um, <laughs> what do I want to be remember, remembered for? Uh, I want to be remembered for um, growing and expanding and um, changing. Uh, every day, like, learning. And I just want to, I think I... Ultimately, I want to be remembered as like someone who just grew. Mm-hmm. I had a really rocky childhood, and um, I'm, I always tell my dad, <laughs> "I'm like the Holy Spirit was our third parent. <laughs> it's a miracle, you know." So just like someone, <laughs> someone who grew, um, someone who just grew and was better every day. Mm-hmm. wiser, stronger, kinder, gentler, more understanding, more compassionate. So just that growing. Beautiful. Going to make me. <laughs> <laughs> no, that is really beautiful. I'm going to have to borrow some of that and add to what I <laughs> <laughs> So if someone is listening and they have been moved by this conversation and they want to book a session with you, or you actually have some group sessions coming up if uh, people are in the Los Angeles area, right? Yes, I have group sessions in the new year, a women of color support group for um, young professionals um, who are struggling with the day-to-day here in Los Angeles, dating, micro and macro aggression, work-related issues. How do I sign up? How do I sign up? Any interpersonal challenges. You know, vulnerability is a huge thing for young women of color. Um, That's like a huge challenge um, for a lot of us. And so the power, like finding power and being vulnerable and, um, you know, issues like around sexuality and sex for my women of color group women of color group and then i have another group which is my queer support group um for all my lgbtq um folks out there who are just looking for support around opening their relationships um any sexual stuff uh anything related to their experience as a queer uh person so those are opening, I'm opening those groups and taking on um, new clients for that to start in the new year. And I can be reached at um, www.lifeandsextherapy.com. And on Instagram, it's Maxine underscore the underscore sex underscore goddess. 
I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Lonnie Swain Show podcast. Please visit my website, LonnieSwain.com, where you can sign up for my monthly newsletter, check out companion blog posts, show notes, and lots of other cool stuff. This podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, Buzzsprout, CastBox, Anchor, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and my website. I love and appreciate all of your feedback, so don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share it with at least three people who you think would enjoy it too or benefit from the information. Until next time, go where you are celebrated and appreciated, not just tolerated. Talk to you soon.